Getting older is fascinating. You go to the doctor. He comes in and he says, you're in pretty good shape for the shape that you're in. We've looked at your blood work. Some levels are too low. Some levels are too high. And there's one or two levels that are actually just right. And that is the extent of your visit. Give them your money. Well, tonight I'm going to talk about some things that are too low and not what they ought to be in churches of Christ. It can affect our health and maybe even become dangerous if we don't pay proper attention. Going to be talking about some things that are too high, maybe. And this morning, we invested a significant amount of time talking about things that are just right about the people of God and need to continue to be stressed to the end of time. What does the future hold for churches of Christ in America? Tonight's study will break down into three basic parts. The first part would be called the facts. The facts. Much like getting the results of your test back from the doctor. I'll be sharing with you some of the most current statistics concerning churches of Christ and where we are in America. Then we'll look at factors Factors that are contributing to down levels in our bloodstream. And then we'll look at a strategy. We'll look at a vision for dealing with the numbers that are not what they ought to be. Okay? Facts, factors, a strategy, and a vision. I mentioned at the end of the sermon this morning that I was going to be an encourager like Paul or Barnabas in the morning lesson. And tonight, a little more like Jeremiah as one weeps and laments some of the circumstances that are being faced by God's people. The world is becoming increasingly spiritual, but not necessarily Christian. The world is pluralistic, that there are many gods and that there are many ways to those many gods. Being exclusive in any way is frowned upon, it seems. Christianity is no longer the prevalent worldview in the United States. Your grandparents... Many of you, your parents who are older, your great-grandparents, the America in which we find ourselves living today is vastly different. It's just the way that it is. To be very honest, as we look at the facts concerning the churches of Christ, at least since 1990, there has been a numerical decline in churches of Christ. At least since 1990. 
So now we are looking at approximately 30 years of numerical decline in this nation. Congregations are getting older. It may be the case that a congregation has a hundred years of people meeting, but that is the exception. The vast majority of congregations among God's people are between 50 and 75 years of age. Roughly one out of a hundred makes it to a hundred years as a congregation. Now stop and think about that. The church at Jerusalem has not consistently met since Acts 2, has it? The church at Philippi that we talked about this morning has not consistently met since about A.D. 49 or 50 when it was first begun there through Paul's preaching of the gospel of Jesus. What I am saying is congregations have life cycles, just like people do. Some live longer, some live less long, but churches have life cycles. Congregations do. Everybody with me? You understand that? The vast majority of congregations, including this one, have been meeting for 50 to 75 years. In 1990, there were about 1.28 million members of the Churches of Christ. Now there are 1.12 million as 2020 dawns on us. Tim, do the math. (laughs) There's a guy that can do the math. Jordan, he likes to talk math. That's the loss of 160,000 people in 30 years. Many of those have passed on. You stop and think about it, it is about four, uh, it's about 4,333 a month. That's a lot of people. The current situation, the numbers are low. Numbers are not what we would like for them to be, and I'm sure they're not what God would want them to be presently. Six to eight congregations close their doors of the churches of Christ each month. Six to eight. Ninety-one percent of our congregations have fewer than 250 attending. In other words, if you have a congregation 250 or over, you're in the top 10% of churches of Christ attendance-wise. 55%, are you listening elders? You listening deacons? 55% of our congregations have an average attendance of 34 It's not good news. It's not good news. Let's look at the factors. What's contributing to this circumstance? Let me give you the big four. Because these four have come together to have something of an effect of a perfect storm. 
And I want you to know that not only is this true with churches of Christ, but almost every religious group. Uh, Just so you'll know this before you're just going to be distraught and say, man, these numbers are awful. Attendance among Southern Baptists is the lowest that it's been in 30 years. Catholics have lost between 3 and 5% of all their members in the last five years here in America. What's contributing to these numbers among the people of God, the churches of Christ, the graying of our members? Let me share with you the statistics. If you are over 70, raise your hand. If you are, oh, keep them up, please. If you are over 60, raise your hand. If you are over 50, raise your hand. 60, you may put them down, 60% of all members of the churches of Christ are over the age of 50. And then if you put the next factor in, 40 to 49, 15%, 12%. So you're looking 75, 87% are 30 or older. Look at the next figure. Of our members, 4.5%, 4 4.6% are between 25 and 29, and another 4.6% are between 18 and 24. Do you notice the top-heavy emphasis? And while we certainly want the church to be intergenerational, I thank God for our older members. I thank God for our widows and widowers. But these numbers don't lie. And I have shared statistics with a number of people like Denny Petrillo at Bear Valley Bible Institute and like Dan Winkler who goes many places preaching. And this has been my experience in traveling and it's been their experience too. These data, this data needs to be thought about and reckoned with by God's people. The second of the four factors is the loss of younger generational groups. The loss of younger generational groups. Hey, you can't help it. We're all getting older. Amen? The alternative is dying or the return of the Lord. But this factor is also important to think about. The loss of younger generational groups. Catch this now. The way you can deal with this is by noticing what the three largest groups are religiously in America today. The largest group in America is a group that classifies themselves as none. None. 23.1%. Of the American population, and roughly one in four claims to be none religiously. It's not that they just hate Christianity, it's just that they seldom, if ever, attend a church anywhere of any type. You understand? 
The evangelicals now number 22.8%. What I am saying is this. People who are Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians that we typically call evangelicals, they like to be called that because they're all just pieces of the one big pie uh, religiously as far as they're concerned. Evangelicals are outnumbered by the nuns. And then Catholics... I mentioned that they had dropped between 3 and 5% in total attendance just in the last five years. Uh, they're down to 22%. If you were just looking across the population of the United States, these kinds of figures would likely bear out. Evangelistic laryngitis or halitosis. That's the third factor. Laryngitis. Having a hard time talking. Or halitosis. Bad breath. And what I mean by this is either there has been a lack of evangelistic fervor or the attempts have been made which sound more like a Madison Avenue lawyer trying to win a case rather than bring a soul to Jesus. And people are turned off by high sales technique. Do you like pressure sales in any aspect of your life? Are you real fond of somebody coming to your door on Saturday morning and wanting to talk to you about Jesus and they are Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons? Maybe a few times you'll talk with them, but it gets kind of old, doesn't it? And if you try to get anywhere with them, they eventually ship them to another area. That's been my experience, and I suspect yours too evangelistic laryngitis, and this is seen in the following question. How long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? And you see the statistics up on the board of about uh, uh, 5,000-plus people in about 100 or 200 congregations among us. 46.8% said that they have been a Christian over 40 years. If you've been a Christian over 40 years, raise your hand. Look at this. Look at the numbers. Wouldn't you say that's about half at least? Put your hands down, please. If you've been a Christian 31 to 40 years, raise your hand. 19%. If you've been a Christian 21 to 30 years, 15.6%. Raise your hand if you've been a Christian that long. See? And you can just see how the hands, even here at Westside, where we have a good number of younger families, do reflect the statistics that I'm talking about, don't they? If you've been a Christian for five to nine years, raise your hand. Five to nine years. 2.7% in the statistics. These factors have all come together. The graying of our members. And over the last 30 years, especially when the church numbers have dropped, Clay, we've lost some really good people who were very faithful to the Lord for a long time. And 
the younger generations have not come along to the same degree that the older generations. Even though there's many younger Christians in many churches that are very faithful and hardworking. Thank God for that. But this fourth factor is huge. I had no idea how huge it would be until I started considering this matter of church growth and health and things that are affecting the growth of churches of Christ. The failure to plant new congregations. Those in this congregation that are the oldest who have been Christians for 40 or 50 years can remember things even here in Midland where the church at North A and Tennessee started congregations. Fort Worth and Jack started congregations in the Midland area. Those congregations are still in existence. And that's one of the reasons why we have a number of congregations in this area, but a failure to plant new congregations has had a negative impact on the Lord's church. And it is rare to hear of churches planting new congregations that are not the source of division and ill will. If that's not really what's behind it, that must change. I've been preaching. I preached my first sermon when I was 13 years old. I've been at this a while now. Two weeks after I was first baptized, I preached. A failure to plant new churches. Think about the book of Acts. They went everywhere preaching the gospel and planting congregations in places like Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus, and the like. More than any single thing, people that love gospel meetings, fine, I like them too. People that like visitation, fine, I think that's wonderful. People that like a number of things, Monday night for the master or something like that, all great ministries, but none of them generate the excitement and long-term good of a group of Christians planning another congregation in another place. And because of the first three items, the graying of our members, the loss of a generation, and what was the third one? Remember? Evangelistic laryngitis or halitosis, bad breath. People have become more isolated and holding on to their own assets and resources in the church. Bad news. Good news. In the time that I have left, and I'm going to preach till I'm finished tonight. Sometimes I say I'm going to preach short, and when I try to do that, somebody thinks that they have to lead the longest prayer ever, or we have to sing every song uh, and every verse of every song, just as I am, is led three times sometimes. So it seems like it doesn't matter to y'all, so I'm going to preach till I'm done. All right? I'm glad it doesn't. God is awesome, 
and his message is unsurpassed. Whatever we do, we must lift up a great and glorious and marvelous God because people need to see Him in America. They don't know who He is. If they want to tell you they don't believe in God, say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I may not believe in Him either. There are so many flawed, faulty views about the God of Scripture And we have the opportunity to lift him up and to lift his soul-saving message up. And we should not dilute, we should not compromise, we should not hold back when it comes to getting God and his gospel out into the hearts and minds of men. We must be wise about it. As wise as serpents and as harmless as doves... Matthew 10, 16, we must be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. 1 Chronicles 12, 31 and 32. Greater emphasis number two must be given to soul consciousness. In praying, I want to make an observation and and I hope you'll take it in the spirit that it's given. When we learn to pray for the lost, more like we're praying for those that have cancer, it will bless this church. I want you to know, if the Lord doesn't come back in our lifetime, we're not getting out of here alive, are we? And it's going to be cancer, or it's going to be heart disease, or it's going to be Parkinson's, or it's going to be dementia, or it's going to be something, and it's going to get us. I am not saying don't pray for those that are sick. Please do not misunderstand me. But I see a conspicuous lack of praying publicly for the lost. Amen. Where is the consciousness of a lost world? And when we pray about this, being conscious about it, then we're going to start thinking about people that are lost and maybe have a list of names that we pray for individually. And that we're asking God to give us an opportunity to tell them more about Jesus and the gospel. A greater soul consciousness must be stressed by the people of God. Number three... We must restore the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. What do you mean by that, Brother Mike? Having every member get excited about their role in the kingdom. Their gifts and talents being utilized for the good of the kingdom, the upbuilding of the kingdom, for the glory of God. In the last 50 years, we have more often than not assigned a role to a minister specialist that we should have thought about fulfilling, filling in the men and the women of the church. And what has ensued has been a corporate mentality where these are men who are paid to do the work of the brethren. God forbid that should happen. 
Thank you for supporting Adam and me to preach. I love and appreciate you more than I can say for that. But we're not doing you a favor if we don't encourage these men in this church to teach and speak and be involved. And in far too many churches, when the preacher is gone, they have to bring somebody in because no one is ready to step up. Get people excited about their ministry and role and talent and gifts and how they can be utilized in the kingdom and utilize those people. This is a very important one, number four. Renew grassroots efforts in evangelism in ways that are biblical, genuine, and natural. Please look at the last three expressions. Biblical Genuine and natural. It is true that utilizing any type of evangelistic method is better than not using any at all. But there are some methods that are going to be better utilized with some people. One of the things that amazes me is that there's some people... You remember the old Jewel Miller film strips? I'm sure a number of you do. They're, uh, they're, they're out on CDs. There will be shortly. But the video cassettes. And then before that, you had it on tape reels. Remember that? You'll be amazed at how many young people think that that technology is so cool. And they're happy for you to show them the Jewel Miller film strips because it's retro. It's retro. That won't work for everybody, but it will work for some. In ways that are biblical, genuine, and natural. I think one of the reasons why there's been so much evangelistic laryngitis and halitosis is because we have been training people to automatically get combative and defensive rather than to focus on the greatness of God and His message and let the seed be planted. That's all we are supposed to be doing, planting the seed. Number five, pick your battles wisely. I want to say this because I think it's true. In years to come, some of the petty fusses and fights, some churches argue on whether you have to wear a tie on Sunday night or not, men. Or if you have to have a let us stand and sing song, before the preacher gets up to preach. Really? Thank you. Really? The fact that these are the kind of things that have divided some of us as Christians, it is pitiful. And it ought to embarrass us and make us ashamed. Pick your battles Know what essentials are and non-essentials. Know what you are willing to lay down on your sword for, for Jesus Christ, and have conviction about that. But make sure that matter is a matter that God's Word speaks clearly on. We should not tamper with the worship of God. We should not tamper with the church of our Lord. We should not tamper with salvation, with the nature of God, the Trinity. We shouldn't tamper with the nature of God's Word. 
But some of the things we've talked so much about, the temperature of the building and people have moaned and groaned. Jenny, we love you. Thank you very much. Because she has a job that won't satisfy hardly anybody. The thermostat. Do we really want to emphasize those matters? Or do we want to emphasize what's essential? We will have to better distinguish between truth and opinion and truth and tradition in reaching a world that is looking closely at us to see if we're really real. Number six, we must become more intentional about leadership development. The need for future elders and deacons. Why am I preaching this lesson? I think you need to hear it. But I'm also preaching this lesson because now at age 60, I know that my amount of time is limited here. And I want to make sure that I am helping to train leaders who will be godly leaders tomorrow. We must be intentional about leadership training for those that are elders. There's a lot of men who are in their 30s and 40s here right now who I hope and pray will one day become shepherds in the Lord's church. Elders, Terry and Lynn, take this as one of your biggest challenges and opportunities to bring those men along. Have them go with you on visits. Write them notes of encouragement. Hold up their hands. And we must be intentional about preacher training. I am absolutely convinced, given the things we talked about earlier, many preachers will end up being bivocational. They will end up being tent makers. And so if we can support men to go to school, Tim, like Jared Kyle did, and then he went back to New Zealand where he works as a dentist, but he preaches about as much as anybody in the country there. If we can support individuals who can end up being bivocational, yes, there will always be local men in many churches, but there's going to be more and more men who will be bivocational because of the size of churches. Think about it. Strengthening families. This is one of the most hurtful things to talk about of all. One of the reasons why numbers have declined is that we've not helped our kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids really know the Lord and the gospel and stay faithful. I realize that there's only so much that you can do with your family and they need to make decisions on their own. I applaud that. It's true. But one wonders how much better things would be if we had only really converted our own in our families. Some of you are going to have to pray about that. And if you're going to get mad at me, I'm sorry. But if it's true, it's true. And it's a weight that hurts. I know it does. 
But for those of us who have families, while there is breath, there is hope and there is opportunity. Be praying about that and be willing to wisely utilize opportunities when they come. Every person here has someone in their family who is not a Christian. Isn't that true? Every one of us. To encourage them to draw closer to the Lord should be our great desire. This is an important one to me. Work together with another congregation. With planning and vision and intent to plant another congregation in a place where it would be needed. There are literally thousands of counties in the United States of America that do not have a congregation of the Lord's people presently meeting there. And some of them are cities of some size. If I were an elder, I would be looking for young men and young women who are dedicated to the Lord and are willing to go into a difficult place and proclaim God and the gospel and they're going to make a commitment there to help the church grow where it is small or non-existent. And to have a role in that and to visit with them and to help them, it would be great for Westside. What if we, what if we just co-opt, if we cooperated with a congregation like the downtown congregation to plant a church? Yes, I'm thinking outside the box. It's not a time to just be withdrawing and looking at your own resources and hoarding them. It's a time to invest in the future. Here's one that some people are going to find hard to swallow. Thoughtfully, but deliberately, some people have to make some hard choices. And a church that's on its last legs and that's on life support, what are you going to do? Here has been the repeated story during my ministry. When those churches were getting down to maybe five or six or eight, and most of them were older ladies, they, hang, they would hang on and hang on and hang on, and finally the building and the facilities would fall apart. It may be better to think ahead and think about selling the property and the facilities and investing, repurposing those funds while the problems are minor instead of major financially to bless the church. There are some folks that just insist going down with the Titanic and singing nearer my God to thee when the church, the building and facilities might have been sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars, perhaps millions, and they could have invested that in the future. I want to tell you this. We allow things to go on in the churches of Christ that we would never allow to go on with our personal finances. Invest in the future now. 
I don't want to sound entirely negative, but I'm shooting straight with you tonight. And I see this every time I go somewhere. And men that I love and respect and know love and respect the Lord and His church are seeing the same thing too. Invest in the future. Now stop and think about this. Think about the investment the congregation here has made in Logan Summers. Isn't that something that we can be thankful for and humbled by? He's teaching people to preach and teach God's Word at Southwest. The work that Terry does in going to a satellite, a Bear Valley Bible Institute and teaching. The work with individuals like Rod Kyle and Andrew Solomon. Osvaldo Valdez. The work that's being done by your sending me to Bear Valley Bible Institute to work with young men. The fact that we have young men in this congregation, or at least younger than me, that are considering preacher's training school or are wanting to take courses so that they can become better servants of God. These are all good things. We must, however, invest in the future now. We must invest in the future now. When I talk to missionaries, I want to hear about what kind of churches they're thinking about planning and how they will help the body of Christ to be healthy. I believe that the news worldwide, in some ways, is more encouraging than the news at home right now. I do. But it won't be long if we don't pay attention to what the doctor is saying with the facts, it won't be long before we need them to come and evangelize us. Be hopeful. I want to end with that. My mother is here tonight, and my grandkids are here tonight, and both of my kids are here tonight, and there are people that I love and have known for 20 years and longer here tonight be hopeful concerning the church. Because God is great. His gospel is powerful. And it is amazing what God can do with a few. With a few who are wholly dedicated to accomplishing His will. Gideon and 300, remember? Jesus and twelve. Paul and his traveling companions on the missionary journeys. It may be that the one that we invest in will be a modern day Paul, a modern day Barnabas. And long after we're gone, be faithfully serving the Lord. Be hopeful. This is not the end of the church. I do believe the church as we know it is going to go through some real transition. But the Word of God still makes people of God. And I think that bright days will be ahead for my grandchildren and great-grandchildren because of our desire to be intentional with Jesus and the gospel. Let the church say amen. amen. 
What will we do with what God has given us? What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits? Psalm 116 and verse 12. I believe that God has invested Himself mightily in the church. And because I believe that, I want to invest myself mightily and wholly too. The church means that much to God. I would rather stand in judgment having used the blessings that God has entrusted us rather than burying them. Wouldn't you? Let us be wise and let us be thoughtful. Let us be loving and let us be biblical. But let's realize that there's much work to do. We're about to stand and sing. It may be that someone needs to come to Jesus tonight in faith and repentance and baptism and to be added to the Lord's church, the church for which He shed His blood. If that's you, don't delay, don't wait. I have not said these words to discourage you, but man, I would not be doing you a favor if I didn't get up periodically and say, this is how things really are. But this is who God is and how great His gospel is. A whole lot easier to stomach this morning, wasn't it? But sometimes you have to be Jeremiah, not just Barnabas or Paul. Let us stand.